Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS on air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Tina Smith, who is filling in for Carol Zernio today. Tina, who serves as the Manager of Caregiving Program Operations for the Caregiver SOS Program through the WellMed Charitable Foundation. She's got a bachelor's degree in psychology, a master's degree in social gerontology, and has worked with seniors and caregivers for more than 25 years. Although, Tina, you don't look that old. Ah, So you must have started as a teenager, right? Exactly right. Exactly right. What attracted you to working with the older people? You know, I just honestly kind of fell into it. I got a job as an activity assistant in a nursing home, and it just was was all over. You know, the rest is history. I just enjoy working with this population and have grown uh, in working with this population and and have been working with caregivers for a number of years as well. Well, we both have been looking forward to talking with our special guest, Stephanie Howard, uh, who is directly involved in the movie The Weight of Honor that focuses on military caregivers. Much of it shot here in San Antonio, uh, through Bamsey and the Center for the Intrepid. And Stephanie joins us on the Caregiver SOS On Air Hotline. Stephanie, thanks for joining us. Hey, Ron and Tina, thanks for having me from California. Thank you very much. Now, you threw out as an aside uh, when we are chatting off the air uh, that you had some radio background. Tell us about that. Uh, well, my background is really in um, broadcast news. And um, as a writer and a producer, and I actually... Had my first radio job was with the NPR affiliate in Omaha, Nebraska, um, and then I did radio here in LA as a writer and producer for um, uh, what is now KNX Radio and uh, what used to be KFWB Radio, which for a long, long, long time was the all news radio station. Right. So, and I've also worked in TV here in California and in Omaha, and um, actually also in Washington D.C. Well, I had mentioned to you off the air that uh, while the Center for the Intrepid is well-known, not only nationwide but around the world, especially among uh, the military, a lot of folks who live in San Antonio, and this program originates in San Antonio, although it is heard uh, via the Internet all over the country and over the air in Austin and Corpus Christi, uh, folks aren't familiar with uh, the Center for the Intrepid. Uh, tell us a little bit about your work and the Weight of Honor and what brought you to San Antonio. Well, the Weight of Honor um, is a film that's really the stories of, of caregivers. We follow six women who were various types of caregivers. Um, some are spouses, um, one is a mother. Um, maybe they were already married to their, um, their servicemen. When he was wounded, maybe they married afterwards. And I actually got the idea when I met some wounded, um, like extensively wounded vets who were here in California in my hometown, speaking at high school and junior high schools where my kids were students. And I got to know them, and I thought a lot about them. And a friend of mine who has her own nonprofit working with vets suggested that there were no documentaries about the caregivers. And it's interesting because I started this process six years ago, and to my knowledge, there are still no documentaries about caregivers, which to me is a sign that 
um, you you have a whole population that's un- underserved. Um, a lot of people, uh, civilians, have no 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 idea about what these families go through as caregivers, and they have special circumstances that I th- I think no one really knows about, unless you're in the military. I mean, you know, you all tell me you talk about caregiving all the time, and uh, do you know about? Is, I, I suppose in San Antonio you know about them, but do you think our civilians know about them? Probably not. We have had on this program a couple of researchers at uh, UT Health, which used to be the UT Health Science Center, they just changed their name, who are involved in a study uh, and an analysis of people who are doing caregiving for those wounded in the military. So uh, there's some work being done that that ought to bring more attention to it. But you're right. It certainly is not top of mind. And I'm curious, as uh, someone who has looked into this, uh, the people who are providing that care, and I've got a very good friend here, a mother who moved here from Rhode Island after her son was very seriously wounded uh, and at the Center for Intrepid. She moved to San Antonio and has been his primary caregiver. Uh, It's so stressful, and you feel so alone. And that's what we we learned a lot about. Um, As you probably know, when um, servicemen, servicewomen are wounded in Iraq and Afghanistan, they're usually airlifted, if they're serious enough, to uh, Landstuhl in Germany. And from there, uh, they either go to Walter Reed or they go to Bamsey, depending on their injuries. And I know um, most of the people we interviewed um, whose loved one had been through Bamsey had severe burns and a lot of amputations. But they end up staying in the San Antonio area. As you can imagine, there are continued appointments at Bamsey, which I assume is what your friend, who's a caregiver, needs to take her son to go and participate in. Um, But, yeah, I I think that there are some caregiver groups um, in San Antonio, there are some national organizations now, but I think unless they have family in San Antonio, and a lot of them don't because, as your friend did, they relocated to stay in San Antonio near the doctors, um, I think they do, they're alone, and they feel very, very isolated. And that's one of the key issues with these military caregivers that we came across. Now, you also note that uh, the military doesn't seem to prepare families enough no. for the return of, of their wounded husbands and sons and daughters. No, and that's interesting because I was just in Washington, D.C., where the film was screened for a private corporation that work, has a lot of um, work that they do with caregivers. And uh, there was a caregiver who was sitting next to me on the panel, and she said, just as women in our film say, The military will maybe prepare them for a death, but they are not prepared for a catastrophic injury. And she said she got a call at midnight from her husband, who was in Bagram, and the only way she knew about it then was because the nurse said, look, you need to call your wife now, because she only heard from the battalion commander two days later. But then she didn't know what to do with herself. You know, what do I do now? Right. Right. And, And... you know, the women, several of the women in our film were told, okay, pack your things, you're on the next plane to Landstuhl. And they didn't know, really, until they got there and they saw the extent of the injuries that 
they were brought there to say goodbye, but they weren't told that before. They, you know, and what happened was these were a few of the lucky ones who survived. But to find out when you get there, right, and see those wounds and those injuries, that's almost no one is is ever prepared for that. But the military does nothing to prepare people for that. And and as you uh, did this film, uh, writing and producing and, and shooting. Uh, what were your thoughts? You got into it not knowing how bad off this situation is. And that's very true. Um, as a journalist, you need to follow this story. And I knew I needed to do that. And it was difficult because we thought, okay, we'd be filming for maybe a year and a half and putting the film together. But what happened is those story arcs were changing frequently. And we saw, okay, we need to follow those story arcs and and get them to the point where there is some kind of conclusion or things are stable enough where we can do the film. And that was challenging because, of course, that made the film more and more expensive. And but, but we felt really, really strongly that we couldn't just bail out at that point, that we weren't really doing service to those stories. You know, absolutely. I mean, the caregiver journey is is not just a generally a short term, and especially for these caregivers. I mean, they're they're in it for the long, the long term. Now, if you just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9:30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Tina Smith, who is filling in today for Carol Zerniel. Our special guest is Stephanie Howard, talking about her movie, The Weight of Honor, which looks at uh, the situation involving military caregivers. And I'm sorry, I, I cut you off there. Oh no, it's fine. You're doing your job. I'm I'm doing mine. Um, what one of the things that's brought out in the film, and that um, is probably of interest to your your listeners, is these mostly are very very young families. Um, because look who's in the service. Sure. I mean, you know, we um, it's and what we're looking at is these. People are catastrophically wounded, and they're going to need care for decades. I mean, what if somebody who's in their early 20s lives to be in their late 70s or 80s or 90s? And and they will need that kind of specialized care because we're talking about amputations and severe wounds and organ damage and organ removal and limb salvage and all of those things, you know, epilepsy, TBI, the, the unseen kinds of wounds, um, they're always going to need caregivers. And one of the things that perhaps you can examine as really the experts of this is the question of what happens with successive generations. If you have, as we saw, small children in the home and they're growing up with, say, a dad who's having um, seizures and they're, you know, really tiny kids or a dad who can't walk because he has a he's a double amputee and maybe he um, has prosthetics but it's very unusual for him to be on if he's a double amputee to be using those prosthetics so what happens to those kids their lives are completely different from maybe what their friends are so what is that like and and the fact that you can't have friends over because your dad has tbi and 
you know, what if he has a flashback? It's, you know, those are things that we also need to be considering. Now, for those who don't know, TBI is? Traumatic brain injury. And we see a lot of that because um, if, say, for example, you were in an armored vehicle and your vehicle ran over, um, no, I have to say initial skin, an IED, improvised um, explosive device. Right. So if you're inside that vehicle and you're bounced around and your head's getting bounced around a lot, there is a great chance, maybe a 100% chance, that your brain is going to have injuries, and we don't know what those are. We're just starting to learn about those kinds of injuries. All right, now stay with me just a minute. We're going to come right back to you. And I think one of the uh, both good news, sad news stories in all of this is in World War II and Vietnam, most of these folks never survived. They never made it back uh, to the U.S. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Tina Smith. We're talking with TV or film uh, producer and writer Stephanie Howard, her movie The Weight of Honor, looking at military caregivers. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner, Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. We try to make Sunday evenings from 5 to 7 p.m. your Caregiver and Wellmet Radio hour or two. In fact, this show, Caregiver SOS On Air, airs at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer Sunday nights. And Wellmet Radio begins at 5 p.m. So uh, stick with us, listen to both shows, and you probably learn a whole lot more about care for the elderly, caregiving, and medical condi- conditions that uh, it's important to be aware of. We're talking on our Caregiver SOS On-Air Hotline with Stephanie Howard. Her movie, The Weight of Honor, focuses on military caregiving. Uh, Tina Smith is with us. She's filling in today for Carol Zerniel. And, Stephanie, as you take a look at the condition of, of many of the folks who end up at either Walter Reed or at Bamsey, uh, these are people who wouldn't have lived uh, following World War II and probably Vietnam. Exactly, Ron. And we had several people who are experts say that on the film. And it's a blessing in disguise, isn't it? Because a lot of these um, survivors would have passed away, would not have survived uh, previous wars. And it's a credit to our our medical um, advances in the field. They've learned how to save more people. They also are are it's much faster and they're much more adept at rescuing injured uh, soldiers military service members in the field and getting them right to a military right to a medical site and when you think about it someone could be injured um in war 
and be evacuated to, in this instance, usually Bagram. And as soon as they're stable, they are jetted to Landstuhl. I mean, it could be less than 24 hours before they're in the military hospital in Germany. And then maybe as soon as they're, they're stable from there, they're transported to the United States. They could be back in the United States in less than 48 hours, wow. which is amazing. We never saw that before, did we? No, and, and they're also, I'm sure, are lessons learned and techniques to transfer uh, to the civilian side. Yes. The kind of yes. medical procedures that are being developed, the prosthetics that are being developed. Uh, Absolutely. Working. And you see that at Center for the Intrepid. But when you think about it, now first responders are using some of the techniques that were learned in the field. For example, a tourniquet has uh, is now the... Uh, is very common use, and people are trained how to use a tourniquet, which um, fell out of, sort of fell out of favor for a long time. But that has been one of the life-saving measures in the field in, in Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria. Now keeps people from bleeding out. Absolutely, yes. Wow. So talk to us a little bit about as you got deeper and deeper uh, into the film, and you're uh, connected with uh, the six uh, caregiver families that you followed. Uh, can you paint a picture for us about some of these families? Um, some are very young. Um, one of the one of the wives um, got a call to fly out to Landstuhl, Germany, to see her wounded husband, and I think they were twenty years old, maybe twenty one, and she was pregnant with their first child. Um, uh, another one had just given birth, and mm. the baby was five weeks old. So she had to get a passport. Think about it. Do you have a passport for your five-week-old baby? No, no I didn't. I don't either. Yeah, really. Um, you don't think about these things. But what would happen was the military would, you know, advance that and speed that process up. Um, uh, another mother, uh, this was her 21-year-old son, and she was married, but she had parents she was caring for, Um and other children, and she pretty much went to live in San Antonio to be with him. Um, another woman married someone who had lost a leg and had a lot of burns and a lot of severe injuries. And, you know, the fact that she wasn't with him before all this, uh, I think that's unique to our, our, our film and unique to her story. Um, another couple of women were married, had children already, and had been with this person for quite a while. And then um, one of the issues that we found is relationships change a lot. And that was what was following this, when we say we followed this arc of the story in the film, uh, some of these individuals have relationships that just didn't, couldn't stand the pressures couldn't stand the fact that a wife who had become a caregiver, it was difficult to see her as a wife again. Does that make sense to you? Well, it does. And you do see that, and Tina works in the caregiving field, you see that on the civilian side as well, where uh, someone, you know, ultimately says either the care recipient or the caregiver, 
you know, I didn't sign up for this. No, absolutely. And and there's stories, uh, you know, the caregiving journey, there's a lot of similarities between the, the families that, that you filmed as well as, you know, other caregivers that are caring for older loved ones. You know, it's not something that they signed up for. Sometimes it's an overnight event that happens and they find themselves in that role. They get a call from the ICU. Exactly. Mom had a stroke or something like that. And so it can be very overwhelming and, you know, you have plans for your life. and. And all of a sudden life happens and you do an about face. And so that's, I'm sure you probably saw that in a lot of the families, just even dealing with wrapping your brains around, you can no longer head down that path that you were heading. Right. Uh, but the interesting thing in the film is the part, the two people who decided not to continue relationships in two of the stories, it wasn't the caregiver. It was the care recipient. Right. Two of them. What and I s- met others who didn't make it into the film because, you know, you only have so much time for a movie. And there, it, it, we were seeing, we were, it was surprising, and we were seeing that. But that's, that's why we're, um, when I was interviewing experts in Washington, D.C., they said they're so worried about the relationships because the relationships change so much. So can... If we're talking about a young couple and the wife has becomes a nurse, well, as that service member heals more and becomes a little more self-sufficient, can they go back to that kind of relationship where it was husband and wife? Does, can they do that? Does the military provide counseling to help them through that transition? I think they're just starting to, but... I don't know that it's the military so much as um, they're being they're contracting with other social workers. Right. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing the the caregiver story because, like you said uh, at the beginning, is just they're they're a forgotten population. There's invisible population as well as caregivers in general. It's just uh, they're they're the silent the silent helpers out there, and so their stories need to be heard. Now, Stephanie, as you got deeper and deeper into this, how did you deal with the emotional roller coaster you were on? Well, I will tell you, I was just thinking about this the other day when my husband gets sick. After about two days, I'm thinking, how do these women do it? Because I'm, like, so over trying to take care of him. And um, so, but that's kind of an aside. Emotionally, um, when... Someone like myself is comes from a news background. We, um, as a practice, don't get close at all emotionally to our subjects. It's it's part of the job. But I found myself in, in this kind of situation, and we're and we're following these stories. And I've known these women, you know, six seven years. That I do become more involved in their lives. They are. We we do talk on the phone. We do email. We do get together. Um, our very first film festival was in San Antonio at the San Antonio Film Festival last year. And it was sort of a reunion because we had many of the caregivers as we could who were in the area come. And we had people from San, who were in San Antonio, one family from Houston, another caregiver from the Kansas City area. And they came in. It, was, it really was gratifying. I felt we were giving back to them for the amount of time that they gave to us. Um, but that was very emotional, um, seeing everyone there and being happy to be with them. And, to you know, we were hugging and we were all together. But it was emotionally draining. 
You know, their stories are draining. Um, you know, you're sitting through an interview, and they're pouring their hearts out to you, and they start crying, and then you start crying, and then I would hear the cameraman in back of me and the crew starting to, you know, they were sniffling. And, you know, after interviews on in these, if you're talking about the emotions, um, I when the camera finally did shut down, I would say, look, I didn't come here to take advantage of you. I didn't mean to upset you so much. I came to hear your story, and they would say, you know what, this was cathartic for me. No one had ever asked me these questions. So, uh, you know, what was my emotion there? My emotion was, okay, I've done my job. You know, what's interesting, Stephanie, and Tina can confirm this, we get the same response from caregivers who, who come to Caregiver SOS for help, uh, who, who will say, no one ever asked me, how do I feel? Oh, absolutely. Again, it's, you know, they're out there, they feel, oftentimes feel like they're doing it by themselves, and many times they are. You know, they don't have the help of family, or there's just no family in town and, and or available to help. And so just being heard is, is so important in connecting with, with other people who are in similar uh, situations can be very therapeutic in and of itself. And, and, and that's important because in, in some of these instances, the wounded service member was treated as a hero. And when there were, and of course they should be. Um, you know, there would be interviews or there would be events and, and that kind of thing. And the wife or the mother, you know, or sometimes the husband is kind of standing there and sort of, hello. I've served in my own way, and I've given up a lot in my own way. And not to take anything away from the wounded, but we do need to recognize, as you said, we need to recognize these uh, caregivers, too. Well, well the uh, figures show that uh, of the 65 million civilian caregivers in this country, uh, mostly women, not all, the numbers of men are growing, but most have given up their outside employment and lose upwards of $350,000 over a lifetime that they could have earned. We'll talk more about your movie, The Weight of Honor, find out where folks can see it and how they can help defray what are the ongoing costs in putting that production together. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Tina Smith on Caregiver SOS on Air on 930 AM. The Answer, our special guest is director and producer of The Weight of Honor, Stephanie Howard. Wow, this is an incredible story, and we thank Stephanie Howard for joining us, director and producer of The Weight of Honor. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Tina Smith on Caregiver SOS on Air on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. So, Stephanie Howard, first off, uh, how can folks see the movie? Um, you can go to our website, which is theweightofhonormovie.com. That's the weight of honor movie.com. You can also Google us. Go to our website. There's a button there to um, purchase the film, um, people, and that will take you to various options with iTunes and Voodoo and Amazon to either purchase a DVD or to um, rent a, you know, and stream it or to purchase it and stream there. Um, the other thing is we are trying to set up as many screenings as we can um, across the country. I know that WellMed actually is going to have some screenings at some of its facilities. Yeah, at senior centers. Mm-hmm. Right, at senior centers. Um, what we would like to do is to have more screenings and more public screenings. And also on our, on our website, people it can say host a screening. You can hit that button as well, and that will take you to... 
a form that you would fill out so that you could do that. Um, for film festivals, if you're in San Diego, the end of September, we are in the GI Film Festival in San Anto- in San Diego. I'm sorry, that's okay. in San Diego, and that'll be that's a really great venue, and they do a wonderful job. Um, showing different films that are of interest to military, and a lot of them are made by members of the military. So I, there are different ways to do that. Um, and, of course, if, if you want to host a screening, if you know a group that, that does, send me an email on that contact form um, anywhere on our website, and we sure want to hear from you. We're also on Facebook, The Weight of Honor Movie, and we're on Twitter and Instagram, and that handle is at Core Issue Films. It's expensive to make a movie, and uh, you're talking about you know quality production that uh, can show both on television or in a theater. Uh, how did you raise the money? Well, we did... We had a crowdfunding campaign, and that raised some of the money. Um, we did win a couple grants. Um, one of the grants from the Dean, um, the Dean Foundation, actually it was a lot of gift in kind, which means, for example, we had an editor who, paid, who said, okay, I'm not going to bill you by the hour. I'm going to give you a reduced rate, and it'll only be, you know, 600 dollars or something like that. So that helped a lot. Um, funding, well, guess what? We dipped into our savings big time because we couldn't wait and, and worry about how fast the story was going away. Well, you got hooked on the story. We had to. You know, it was a choice that we made. And folks yeah. can uh, still contribute. Absolutely, yes, because it takes a lot of funding to be going out with the, to have the outreach and to try to um, get the film into the civilian audience. If you go onto our website, again, that's theweightofhonormovie.com, there is a donate button that will go through PayPal. And, of course, of course, of course, we would love any donations. When you look back six, seven years now, uh, and you got into this project, what got you going in the first place? Why did you do this? You know, as a journalist, you're always looking for a good story. And I figure, I, I maybe this is wrong, but I've always thought that if there's something, a topic that I find interesting that I want to know more about, it, I, I think, okay, maybe other people do too. And I'll check with you know, I'll bounce the idea off people who I know in the business, people who aren't in the business, and generally that's what I find out. If I'm interested, if I can become passionate about this, and it means a lot to me, then first of all, I have the drive and the ambition and the interest in pursuing it, but there's a really good chance other people are going to be interested too. Absolutely, and and since you've you've gone down this path, you've opened that door and have explored this caregiving role, I mean, do you see yourself in the future doing any more uh, any more movies about this topic in general? You know, I, I've been asked to. I'm thinking about things. I don't know. I have to decide some of that. Um, I find myself coming into um, a caregiver role with my parents. Mm-hmm. And also, I've been um, a caregiver for one of my sons. I mean, he's 
pretty much on his own now, but there are still a lot of things that we need to do. Is that going to take up all my time? I don't know. I think as any caregiver, you certainly hope that it doesn't. But I anticipate we're going to be spending a fair amount of time um, getting this movie out there mm-hmm. and helping the civilian audience understand. And I know I keep saying we, and I need to give credit on that. My husband, Roger Howard, has been with me every step of the way. He's a co-producer. He's been the uh, director of photography. He's been with me in San Antonio and also for the film festivals. And um, let's give him the credit, too. And you've stayed married. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we managed to do that. <laughs> uh, Howard, I, I, I want this scene in here. No, you don't want that scene in there. <laughs> Interesting. Well, as you look down the road, and I don't control in any way the decisions made by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, but uh, I think it's certainly worth exploring uh, with the foundation. Carol Zerniel is the executive director. Uh, the possibility of uh, some kind of uh, effort between WellMed Uh, And you all, because uh, first of all, we can hook you up with incredible stories of people who are caregivers uh, and care recipients and uh, help you, you know, deal with that both in San Antonio, Austin, Corpus Christi, and many places in Florida, Houston, Dallas. So uh, there's a lot of connection there. So it's something put in the back of your mind as you take a look at the next steps. I'm always open to that, and um, Carol wants to reach out to me, and we work out a pro- uh, plan. Always open to that. Well, Tina will try to make that happen. Yes. She works directly with Carol. <laughs> uh, as you look at uh, where you are uh, on this film uh, and, and think about uh, what more could be done, what would you like to see the military do, uh, whether it's at the Center for the Intrepid or at uh, Bethesda Naval Hospital or elsewhere? Or well, Walter first Reed. Of all, I want to. I want to say this um, center for the intrepid just blows me away. What they're doing there is so amazing, and we what we the stories that we followed there, the the footage that we filmed there, it was just you know they're not just doing rehab; they're making the prosthetics there. It was it was just amazing. Um, and what they do, from what I understand, is privately funded. So that's not really part of the military. I think the military needs to take a page from that. I know they have a facility in Bethesda, Maryland, that um, I haven't been to, but is also doing this kind of work. Um, I, I, I think that what the military is probably going to need to do is to work with um, – uh, civilian health care and because why reinvent the wheel if you have social workers as we do say for at Southern uh, um, University of Southern California has a whole program where they're training um, social workers to work just with military families why reinvent that wheel um, contract contract with those kinds of organizations and make it possible and easier for veterans to get the help that they need and not necessarily have to go to a VA hospital that may not have that level of care. As you think about uh, the families that you've talked to, and of course, uh, you could only give a snapshot. There's so many more. Uh, What can folks do individually, uh, both in volunteering and, and getting involved in the kind of rehab and programs that are offered at these centers? 
I think um, and we can ask that question a lot. We have a page on our website with resources, with organizations that work a lot with caregivers. And you can go and, and look there and donate money or donate time, and they will give suggestions on how you can help. Um, what we're trying to say to communities, if we do community screenings, is, hey, you know, get your community together. Um, see what families there are in your area that you can help out and make an organized plan to help out. We say go to your church or synagogue or mosque or congregations and look at, okay, who who are the people who are among you who maybe you don't know are caregivers? And that can be any kind of caregiver, right, Tina? Um, you know, anybody who would need a helping hand, some respite care, bring some meals, do some projects around the house, but don't just say you'll do it once. Um, one of the families, um, the, the woman said, you know, I really need help cutting the lawn. And I had somebody who said they would do it, and as you can see, they haven't been here in over a month. They said they'd be here every two weeks. Well, if if you're going to make that kind of promise, do it as a group and make a schedule and make everyone accountable. And I think it's also important. It doesn't have to be anything real big. You don't have to make a big effort. It's, you know, it's mowing the grass or running to the grocery store for them or watching the kids while they take a break. You, you know, any of that. Just a lot of times, just any kind of help is appreciated. But but your point is well taken. Uh, you know, Stephanie, one off doesn't do it. It's got to be some kind of consistent, regular. I can count on that help. Absolutely yes. Because from it's- where I come from, grass keeps growing. Uh-huh. Cut it once, it's going to come right back. We had to go to in someone's house, and we had to wade through knee-high grass. Wow. I'm not surprised. Uh, despite all the troubles that uh, and emotion and exhaustion and challenges that these families are facing, uh, did you find uh, uh, incredible resilience as well? And that's really what, how we're... Um, if you don't mind me saying how we pitch the film, it's the stories of these courageous and brave and resilient women. And look, it wasn't always happy, as you know, with caregivers. It can be stressful, and there are a lot of downtimes. But one of the couples did say to me, I said to them, well, how do you guys think this has worked out, and how do you stay together? And I said, a lot of humor. You know, that was one of those things, you know. And she's she looks at him. She says, "You're not getting rid of me. You'll huh. see it in the film." He goes, "What she said, you know." <laughs> and you know, you gotta. I mean, am I right? You, you gotta find some humor, and and otherwise, it'll just make you nuts. Yes, no, absolutely. We've got about a minute and a half left. Is there something we haven't asked you that you want to share with our listeners? No, I, I think you know who your listeners are. You know what you're doing, and the more we can do to reach out to the civilian audience, those are the people who need to know about these military caregivers. Remember, a lot of people don't realize we're still at war. The longest war in the history of the U.S. Mm -hmm. in Afghanistan. Unbelievable. And they're spending still billions on that. Right. So from those wars, we have 1.0 million caregivers. In all wars, we have five and a half million caregivers. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Hey, thanks so much for coming on with us, and thank you especially for uh, producing uh, uh, The Weight of Honor. And we will share with our listeners uh, your website address again and encourage folks uh, to go to it to see the film. And 
when WellMed arranges for screenings, we'll publicize that as well. That's great, and I know we are already doing that. And i got to tell you, I love San Antonio. We'll come back. Probably been there half a dozen times already. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Invite us back. We're there. Cool. <laughs> I like that. We'll talk again. I appreciate your time. Thank you both very much for having me on okay. your show. Bye-bye. Bye. Stephanie Howard, who is the uh, producer and director of The Weight of Honor, her website is theweightofhonormovie.com, theweightofhonormovie.com, and you can find out all kinds of information on that website. Very interesting. Oh, it's very interesting, and, and like she said, it's a story we don't hear much about, so I'm, uh, I think uh, sharing it is, is so important. Up next, Take 10 on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Tina Smith. We'll be joined by Dr. Jamie Heisman on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner, Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. Thank you so much for sticking with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. Following each and every one of our programs, we bring you Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known psychotherapist and expert not only in caregiving but addictions as well. With us is Tina Smith, who is filling in for Carol Zerniel. Tina is very active as a, a director of several well-med programs and holds a master's degree in gerontology. I'm Ron Aaron. Dr. Jamie, true story, when my dad was alive uh, years ago, uh, he'd reached a point where he should not have been driving. Uh, and, and on one day, he had only three accidents, all rear-enders, bumper-benders, nobody hurt, some damage. Uh, and we met with a social worker uh, who agreed to help facilitate uh, getting my dad to stop driving. The social worker uh, talked with my mom, who was in total agreement. And then we had the meeting and my dad came in uh, and it all went downhill because he felt attacked. Uh, and I felt so bad because he, he shriveled up and, and he started to cry and he said, don't you think I, I've been driving for 60 years. If I thought I, I wasn't a good driver, I'd quit driving right away. And my mother, who was all set to be with us on this, chimed in, Sal's a great driver. What are we doing here? And, <laughs> and he finally quit driving when my brother hid the keys. Well, you know, that often doesn't work, too, because sometimes uh, they're pretty resourceful, and they'll find a way to make that new key. I've had people hide spark plugs, take batteries out. I mean, the bottom line, really, so the listening audience understands is there's no magic number, really no magic number, in which somebody is suddenly unable to drive. 
I've literally seen 80-year-olds who drive better than 60-year-olds and 60-year-olds who drive terrible, or, you know, and, and I'd rather have the 80-year-old. But to your point, which is really critical, you know, it's symbolic, Ron. The, 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 the car is extraordinarily symbolic. It, it says independence, okay? It's a right of being an adult. Uh, they don't want to give it up. It's, it's why their loved one's responsibility is to bring it up. I mean, if you have a family member or a friend that's getting too old to drive and the cognitive abilities are challenged and whatnot, then obviously you do need to take action. But it's so difficult because that car does represent so much to that person. Now, Washington Post study uh, just out the other day uh, found that most seniors drive well beyond the point at which they really should not be driving, that they're no longer safe. But they keep driving. They do. Uh, I'm at the Florida Council of Aging right now, in a wonderful conference here, and um, I just heard a, a, a speaker who is one of our uh, excellent motivational speakers talk about her mother who has pretty bad dementia in Alaska, and she's still driving. And absolutely the family seems frozen. And that's an expert, of course, frozen in terms of having her give up her driver's license. So if she was in front of me now after that talk, I'd say you have to do it very strategically, very carefully, and in a very kind of compassionate way. I have a friend here who is a a PCP, primary care physician, uh, who had a patient, both husband and wife, uh, with dementia. And uh, they had uh, a ride service to come to see him. One day the service didn't work, and the wife drove uh, to the office, and he asked her, well, how did you get here? And she said, you know, it's a wonderful thing. They have these bumps in the road, and as long as you keep your tires on the bumps, uh, you're going in the right direction, and you stay in the right lane. (laughs) It sounds like me driving over here to Tampa. I had my sister in the car because she's a social worker, and she was doing a presentation as well. And, of course, like I said, you know, at my age, I'm 63, and she believes there's what my father, who's 90, drives better than I do, she says. Ah. But <laughs> back to the point, here's the strategy, if we can, in terms of actually taking the keys away from, from uh, your loved ones or right. your parents, which is challenging. And, and Tina, you know, chime in, because I'm sure in the caregiver world, you see this happening often. Oh, sure. Uh, but my first recommendation is do not do this on your own, that... The caregiver is like the messenger, and always remember, God rest my mother's soul, the messenger always gets killed. There is no way to do a one-to-one intervention at all with a loved one to get the keys, period. Case closed. Do not be heroic. Put that cape down and get humble. The first thing we have to do is go and create the list of why we believe our loved one observably cannot drive. And for all these, get the whole family together, the primary caregiver, long-distance caregiver, anybody who knows this person, whether it's even somebody from church or a friend, and find those reasons. Then the primary caregiver would would carve up a letter, if you will, that's just short, sweet, to the point, and get it to her doctor, whether it's a neurologist or primary care physician, who knows. But here's the deal. If information is not being delivered by a licensed professional, and is being delivered by a family caregiver, we're, we're making a huge mistake. Only a licensed professional who sees the evidence can be the one to tell the loved one, listen, it's time. I have a professional responsibility to the state of Florida, Texas, and it's time to stop driving. 
that's when all the beautiful caregivers in this person's life comes up and says, oh, mom, oh, dad, I'm so sorry. Really. But we're here to support you and the doctor's decision. And we'll make sure you get where you need to get. And we'll make sure we work with you to create the proper schedule. And does that work or does the uh, care recipient turn on the doctor? No, it does. Listen, I tell you, interventions don't always work, of course. This is what I call family supportive sort of intervention because the family's not doing it, but the family yeah, is supporting it. I like it. But it is, yeah, it, it, it's a loving one. You kind of peel uh, everything off of the, of the loved one instead of confronting them. But you really can't argue with the laws of the state of Texas or the laws of, the, of Florida. You can't argue with a physician's issue around liability and whatnot. What you can do as a loved one, as a person who really cares about the person who's getting this challenging news, is you can help them and help yourself come together to put together a plan of action where they can't where they don't drive and where yet they're really not missing a beat or even that independence yeah i would say yeah definitely talking to a doctor or a licensed professional because we we tend to just as human beings take news better from other people other than our family and so definitely head down that direction if you just joined us you're listening to you're listening to take 10 on 930 a.m the answer I'm Ron Aaron, along with Dr. Jamie Heisman and Tina Smith. I'm sorry I jumped on your words, Dr. Jamie. No, denial's a tough thing, Ron. And obviously, as an addiction counselor, taking it out of the senior realm for a moment, I've seen so many families go up to their loved one who had an addiction and did a one-to-one intervention or brought the family together, the wrong family members to the intervention, and had just what you described, Ron, which is that visceral sort of oppositional angry lockdown response. And so I'm used to that long enough to find out that the messenger gets killed. In this respect, with the seniors, the same thing. We really have to be strategic. We have to be loving. We have to be compassionate. But we have to really understand that we're not going to be the one to deliver this news because there is absolutely no way we can win. Now, you've done this presentation on Caregiver Teleconnection, which is a free service that CaregiverSOS.org offers to folks uh, to talk about issues and get advice. And, Dr. Jamie, when you've done that Take the Keys presentation, what are you hearing from folks out there in the real world? Well, I hear exactly what you're saying. Does it really work? And I'm not so sure I can do this. And maybe I'm, you know, kind of going around my, my, my parents' back. Well, interesting enough, I say to them, first of all, you need as a caregiver to be involved with your loved one's care. Whether that informed consent comes from the doctor or whether the whole family sits together lovingly with their loved one and says, look, we'd love to help you in your care. Please let us sign a release and become part of it. So once that occurs, Ron, it's almost permission at that point in time that the person understands that they're better off with the family member there. So there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of intrepidation. But many believe that if they get an independent objective, either doctor or licensed psychologist or LCSW, whoever has liability to that state uh, and who can make that claim, then they understand this is the best path. There's no great path to tell somebody you're taking their independence away from them. So really they see that this is the only way to go. Now, in your dad's case, we've got about 30 seconds left. You said he's in his 90s and still driving. Is he really driving okay? He is. He's driving less and less, and his loved one, uh, my my stepmother, uh, is driving more and more. There is some humility, of course, there that's happening, and it's happening slowly. And I do suggest to your listeners, maybe that's also an initial way that people start taking more and more of those driving responsibilities. But I would, I believe that you know, my father, you know, if if 
the doctor actually told him he has that type of respect for his physician, and we came around him that this would work. But again, they're working towards it right now as we speak. Perfect. Thank you, Dr. Jamie. Appreciate it. Tina Smith, thank you very much. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. Take 10 on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer.